We've been in a series on the commands of Jesus because it's important, I think, for us to know what his commands are because he tells us over and over again that when you know them and do them, you indicate how much you love him. And so we've got to know what they are in order to do them faithfully. And the sermon this morning may be the shortest sermon and the most important sermon I'll ever preach. Now, which of those two statements gets you most excited? (laughs) The most important, right answer, good. John 3, 1 through 17, the sermon is entitled, You Must Be Born Again. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus comes to him. And Jesus says, look, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't know what this means, so Jesus explains it. And in doing so for Nicodemus, he does it for us all. So many people think they're going to heaven by being good or by coming to church or by being better than the guy next door or by doing good deeds. Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And it is the most important thing I can tell you as your pastor today or any day. John 3, 1 through 17 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, well, how can this be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now here's the verse that you know. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. This is the gospel in a nutshell. The simplest and yet the most important thing I can tell you this morning is the fact that you must be born again. It doesn't happen with physical birth. It happens with a spiritual birth. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And for those of you who need to do that before you leave here, I'm going to tell you how to do that. Watching by television, if you've never done this, It's the most important thing 
you could ever do because it determines all eternity. There's nothing more important than that. Let's bow together. Father, as we come this morning, we just pause at the outset to thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be restored into a relationship with you. Most of us didn't know that relationship was even broken. And a lot of folks listening here today, even if they know it is broken, don't know how to fix it. Thank you for Jesus who fixed what we could not fix ourselves. Give us faith to believe. In his name we pray. Amen. In a recent poll, Gallup, George Gallup, that American pollster surveyor, discovered that four out of five Americans consider themselves to be Christian. Four out of five, 80%. That's the latest word from Gallup. But Gallup is a secular poll, and he did not ask probably because he didn't know himself. He didn't know how to ask, what makes a Christian? How do you become a Christian? I believe God wants every one of us to know how we stand in his eyes. It's his desire that there be no confusion or misunderstanding or uncertainty come judgment day. I don't want anyone to hear within the sound of my voice to say, when they stand before God, gee, I didn't know that. No one told me that because I'm telling you today. I want you to ask yourself, am I a Christian? And by the end of the service, I want you to know for a fact whether or not you are, and if you are not, what you can do about it this day. You can know for sure, whatever your religious background, I want you to take an honest look behind all the myths, all the uncertainties, all the misunderstandings that surround what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, to be born again. Because if thinking positively and just living a good and moral life and going to church and having Christian parents and hanging out with other Christians and believing in God and talking about Jesus and praying and reading the Bible does not automatically make you a Christian, then what does? I've got an outline here this morning for you to follow. What does make a Christian? First of all, the Bible says that a Christian is someone who walks the way of life. You know, the first Christians in the book of Acts were called people of the way. As a matter of fact, there was a Bible when I was in high school that that a lot of folks had, a lot of my friends had called the way. What is the way? It's the way of life as opposed to the way of death. And that way is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, and this is interesting, and the reality of it continues to amaze me as I ponder it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that verse says a lot of things. First of all, it says to me that Jesus doesn't say, let me point you to the way, or I'll show you the way, or I am one of the ways. Jesus says, I, you want to know the way? I am the way. I am the way. You know, there are a lot of religions that that purport to get you to heaven, that, that promise you that you can follow their way and get to God. 
There are a lot of paths up the mountain and we all end up in the same place. Jesus says, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father. You want to come into his Father? You want to be in God's presence? You can't do it in any other way other than Jesus Christ. I know that's not being politically correct to say that today. But that's what Jesus said. And that's what I go by. I was thinking um, this week, you know, um, a doctor says, you're having an appendicitis. We need to do an appendectomy. Are you going to argue with that doctor? Are you going to say, I think you must be wrong. I think there must be several other ways that we can treat this particular illness. And I'm not going to take what you say. I'm going to go and try a, a different way. Or I'm going to talk to somebody else. No. You have an appendicitis. You need to have your appendix removed. It's, is that being politically incorrect to say that there is a problem and there's only one solution? God tells us that there's a problem and it's called sin and there's only one solution and it's called Jesus. Do you sometimes feel like you're lost and you don't know where you're going? Well, let me tell you, when you find Jesus, you have found the way. He is the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. That's not being politically incorrect. It's just saying there's one problem and one solution. Only one solution, and it's Jesus. What is this way of life? Well, it's a way of, first of all, it's a way of peace. Jesus said to his followers in John 14, 27, we use this passage a lot of times at funerals. Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. The world, if you're trying to find peace in the world, good luck with that. Because there has never been a time in our world's history when somebody hadn't been at war with somebody else. There's never been a time in your own life when everything has been perfect. When everybody is getting along, where everybody is getting along and loving and relating to one another perfectly, that does not happen. When you walk the way of Christ, there is an inner peace. Not an outward peace, but an inward peace, a quiet in your heart. All the broken pieces in your heart, are, in your life, are put back together again, reassembled. And only God can give you that kind of peace, regardless of all of the craziness and conflict and difficulties that surround you. <laughs> I've known folks who've been in tremendous pain, who've, who've gone through great hardship, who struggled and had difficulties in life, and yet there was a serenity about them, about everything about them that was inexplicable by worldly standards. But on the inside of their heart, there was peace because they knew God was in control. The way of Jesus is also the way of purity. The Beatitude, Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the pure in heart. You know, you can be a nice person. You may even be the life of the party. Everybody may like you. You may be popular, but let me tell you something. If you're fooling around with sin, if you're playing with immorality, if you're pretending on Sundays to be something you're not, if you're being dishonest in school or at work or where you play or in your family, then you're not living a pure life, the life that Jesus wants for you. 
And when you come to Jesus, he will forgive your sins and he will cleanse your heart. The Old Testament says your, your heart will be as white as snow. Now, we don't get snow very, very often down here. I was driving to Atlanta the other day and it looked like snow on the side of the road. And you know what? It was cotton. It looked, like, it looked just like snow. And it was, it was pure white. And that's what... God does for us when Jesus washes away our sin. For the way of life in Christ is purity. Purity. Thirdly, the way of life is, of Jesus is love. All men will know you're my disciples. What? If you get along, if you witness, if you tithe. No. All men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The word love today is usually used by a person exploiting the emotions of another for his or her own satisfaction or selfishness. But love is not taking advantage of the other person. Love is wanting the best for the other person, no matter what it might cost us. No time, no distance, no resource is too great for one to give another in love. And Jesus says that's how people will know you're one of his followers, by how much you love, by how, what extent you're willing to go for one another, wishing and hoping and desiring the best in another. That's unconditional love, not based on what they can do for you, not on who they might become or what they might be or what they might reciprocate. It's just giving, expecting nothing in return. And that's how, how far to the extent you determine you're one of Jesus' disciples. The fourth way is the way of obedience. The way of the Christian is to serve one master and only one master. You can only have one Lord in your life. Either it's going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. Either you're going to do what you want to do or you're going to do what Jesus wants you to do. You can't have two Lords can't have two masters. Jesus tells us that over and over again. In Revelation, the Bible describes him as king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king over all kings. He is the lord over all lords. The Christian lives in the light of this reality. And when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes your lord, your master, your savior, your king, and what he says goes. There are no questions, no debates, no arguments, no equivocation. When you feel like Jesus telling you to do something, you don't challenge it. You don't ask. You just do it. And, and I've learned this too, the hard way. If, if you begin to ask and question whether or not you should do something or not, I can tell you right now you shouldn't. Because even that doubt is an indication that it's wrong. The servant of a king waits for the slightest hint of a command and then rushes to obey. Susan's father was a pretty strong disciplinarian and she tells me that when he told her to do something, she better be doing it before he finished his sentence. Some of you have parents like that. I was thinking... Uh, about the movie Remains of the Day with Anthony Hopkins. Do you remember that? He was a butler, an English butler of a, of a gentleman, and he anticipates the Lord's slightest needs 
And before the, his master could even get the request out, Hopkins was moving swiftly and smoothly to meet whatever wish, whatever desire, whatever need his master had. It's kind of like radar on MASH. Do you remember? He, he could finish a sentence. He could do what the colonel wanted, whatever needed before the question, the request was even out of his mouth. Similarly, the, the Christian gives God complete authority of his life without caring what it might cost him in terms of comfort or reputation. When Jesus tells you to do something, how do you know? It's in here. It's in here. It's when you read. It's when you're in fellowship with God. You know what he wants you to do. And when you know what he wants you to do, obedience is a reflection of your love for him and how quickly you respond. Because when you delay obedience, when you are unfaithful, you fall out of fellowship. And you wonder why you can't hear him anymore. You wonder why your prayers seem to go unanswered. I hear people say, they don't seem like they get any higher than the ceiling. And I'm wondering, where are you out of fellowship with the Father? What has he asked you to do? What has he told you to do that you have not obeyed in? You've been disobedient in? That cuts off that relationship because sin in your life is something that God cannot be in the presence of. So a Christian is someone who walks in the way of life through peace, purity, love, and obedience. Secondly, a Christian is someone who enjoys eternal life. And this is a reality that I'm only continuing to learn. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And for a long time, I thought he was just talking about eternal life when we die. But Jesus is talking about life right now. You might think you're alive because you're breathing and you're eating and you're sleeping and you're going about your daily activities. But let me tell you something, without Jesus, you are just existing. You're not really alive. Jesus came because he wanted us to be alive in this world. He came to give us life. Life and fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is what God designed and intends for us to have. And it begins the moment Jesus comes into your heart. It begins then and it never ends. It's abundant life. It's eternal life right now. You know, all of us are going to have eternal life. It just might not be the place we expect, the place we hope. Because if you die in this life, if you haven't been reborn in this life, you're dead now and you'll be dead eternally, separate, apart from God. Eternal life is Jesus in your heart. And so I'm going to ask you, can you say, can you know that you have eternal life right now? Because you can remember the day you invited Jesus into your heart, and when you invited him in, he came in. And when he came in, he came in to stay. That happens with eternity right now. Thirdly, and this is the focus of the message this morning, a Christian is someone who's been born again into God's family. The Greek word for born again or born anew is anothen. It's anothen. And it means to be born from above. Some translations 
In other places, this word is used in the New Testament, born from above, born anew, born again, reborn, rebirth. When you are born again, you can become one of God's children because when you have a physical birth, you're not God's child. It's when you have a spiritual birth that you are adopted into his family. The Lord Jesus says here, unless a man be born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And incidentally, the kingdom of God is not just heaven. The kingdom of God is here with us now because Jesus brought the kingdom of God into the world with his arrival. What does this mean? When you and I were born into a human family, we had no choice who our mother and father would be. That's physical birth. That's born of water. But to become a child of the heavenly father, you have a spiritual birth. And that happens when you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus. That is the birth of the Spirit. That's the second birth. I've heard it said, and I like this quote, and I've used it in funerals before, if you've been born only once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die once. What does that mean? If you've only been born once, you've only experienced a physical birth, then you're going to die in this life and in the life to come. But if you've been born twice, if you have experienced the physical birth and the spiritual birth, then you're only going to die once. It's going to be that physical body that's going to die and be left behind because you've been reborn into a, a spiritual body with Jesus Christ when you repent and put your faith in him. That's the born again, born anew. I remember when Jimmy Carter was running for president, I guess that, was that in the 70s? And do you remember he said he was born again and the press had no clue what he was talking about and they all scurried to find out what does this mean? What did, and they found out that he was a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope you know what it means to be born again, to be born anew a second birth of the Spirit when Jesus comes into your heart. If you know that and if you've experienced that, you'll only die once. So, it would be, I would be remiss if I told you what it means to be a Christian and did not conclude this message by telling you how to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because if you'd like to start walking the way of Jesus, knowing that you are a child of God, and going to heaven, it does not happen automatically. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because your parents are Christians or they brought you to church all of your life or you come every Sunday or you're a good person. I need to tell you how to do that this morning. Those of you here this morning and watching by television today or in days to come, first, the Bible tells you that you have to admit your sins have separated you from God. And you say, well, I'm not a bad person. It doesn't matter. The book of James says that if you have committed one sin, if you have broken one law, you have broken them all. Even one sin separates you from God because you cannot underestimate how good and holy and righteous and perfect God is. And because God is so holy, he cannot be in company. He cannot even countenance 
the ugliness of sin, it is so repulsive to him. And so when you have sin in your life, it has separated you from God. He has separated himself from you. He cannot be in relationship with you because of that sin in your life. And so the first step is to own up to the problem because God can't fix something if there's not a problem. And so many people are unwilling and too proud to go around and not acknowledge the fact that they're sinners. You need to own up to the fact that, that there's some areas in your life, your selfishness, your greed, your pride, your immorality, and all the rest, and say, God, I am a sinner. Have you ever admitted the fact that you have been walking the way of death instead of the way of life? Because if you have not repented of your sins, Romans 6, 23 says the wages of those sins is death. You think you're working for something and accomplishing something? I'll tell you what you're earning by your sin. You're going to be paid in full with death. The Bible also says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means the best person who ever lived except Jesus has sinned and fallen short of God's glory because his, his goal, his standard is perfection. And only Jesus reached that standard. And you and I have fallen so far short of that standard. We could never achieve it. We could never earn it. We could never deserve it, no matter how hard we work, how much good we do, how high we climb. You and I have sinned. And it's time for you and me to own up to that sin and receive the forgiveness that God offers us through Jesus. So admit that you're a sinner. Secondly, believe what Jesus did for you on the cross. There is an element of faith and believe. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 18, Christ died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. The just Jesus for the unjust, you and me. He died for our sins so that he could bring us to God by cleansing us of those sins that separated us from God. Once again, we could be found holy and righteous in God's eyes and have that relationship with him restored. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered death so that each one of us could be forgiven. We deserve to be punished for the wrong we have done in God's eyes. But God sent his son to take the punishment upon his own body on the cross for what you and I have done. It's like a judge standing behind the bench and pronouncing the prisoner guilty and then stepping out around the bench and taking that punishment on himself. That's the kind of love and grace that God has for us. You got to admit your sins. You got to believe Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And third and finally, you need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It says two things. First of all, confessing, which means speaking it, admitting it publicly. Believing in your heart and then confessing it with your mouth. What? That Jesus is your Lord. He is your master. He's the one that you're going to obey from this point forward. You see, you cannot inherit your faith. That's not going to make you one of God's children. All of us who belong to Jesus had to come to him for ourselves. Have you come to him? Have you made that decision? How? The Bible tells us, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. You've got to believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. And the best way I know to make Jesus Lord of your life is simply to bow your head in prayer and do these things. Admit your sin and by faith open your heart to Jesus. Believe in him and receive him. He says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. You've got to open that door yourself and invite Jesus in to come in and forgive you of your sins. Believe in him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. If that's your decision this morning, then tell God right now. You may wish to use this prayer. Let's bow together. And if it's your desire to invite Jesus into your heart, to be born again today, you can say this. Heavenly Father, I want to be a Christian. I realize that I'm a sinner and that my sins are against you. Please forgive me. I believe in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I don't completely understand it all, but I accept it by faith. I want to be your child. I want to be born again into your family. Please come into my life, Lord Jesus, and make me your child right now. I want you to be my Lord, and I will follow you and obey you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.